0: Hey everybody, my name is Jenna and we are so glad that you're listening to the Overflow Unplugged podcast. The goal of Overflow Unplugged is to have helpful conversations around the real questions that 18 to 25-year-olds are asking. We hope that this podcast helps encourage, challenge, and equip you to thrive as you navigate your young adult life. Today on the podcast, Carson has a conversation with our friend, Stuart Hall. Stuart has been a longtime friend of our church and Overflow. Carson and Stewart cover a whole lot in today's episode, from hearing part of Stewart's story as he battled COVID-19, along with a conversation about some helpful tips we can use in navigating the ongoing conversation around mental health. Let's jump in to today's episode.
1: Stewart, thanks for being on our podcast today. Uh, you have been such a mentor and a friend to me for so long. And All
2: right, well, we need to stop right there. If I'm your mentor, then you need to be fired immediately. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm I know that you just got this job. gig and you've
2: yeah. got an incredible uh, 12 o'clock shadow happening right now. But yeah, I for all you uh, paying attention at home, I asked Carson last week if it was mandatory that you had to have a perfect beard to speak on stage at over. Fun. Well, the beard is a new experiment
1: for me, I feel like, because I started it last fall and Clay sets the bar high. I mean, yes. his... His beard is fantastic.
2: Clay's beard is biblical. There's no question. (laughs) It's it's a biblical beard. Yeah, it's a biblical proportion. Uh, (laughs) We also probably should say this right off the top, if anybody is paying attention, that if you feel like this is being recorded in a dentist's office, it's because (laughs) there is uh, massive amounts of deconstruction happening downstairs in our home and I am upstairs trying to get away, but it is not going to help. So I hey, That's okay. In all seriousness though, Carson, I just want to say in front of everybody how big of a fan I am of you. I love you like a brother to see you in the position that you're in. just thrills me. Uh, Kelly and I are just so stoked for you. Um, we love you and Maddie a ton. I cannot believe you're going to be a dad, mm-hmm. but We all know how that happens. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm excited to be a dad. And Overflow knows
1: all about my excitement to be a dad. I wore my girl dad hoodie the other day at Overflow, and I've never worn something more popular. Like, that was the thing. It was like, I love that you're wearing a girl dad hoodie, you know? Yes. Which my mother in law, shout out to Julie, she would be upset if I didn't mention that she made that hoodie. She made that hoodie.
2: Uh, along with probably 15 other outfits you already have that are on made. the way. Yes. A hundred percent. As a fellow girl dad, I completely concur that being a girl dad is very special. So.
1: Yeah. I'm excited. I'm scared, but I'm excited. Um, tell us a little bit about your family. I, I love your family and I feel like I get to see them from afar. The majority of the time Kelly is incredible
2: and yep. I love to hear about them. Well, Kelly is by far the secret sauce, uh, Uh, my, uh, bout with COVID-19 in 2020, uh, I I think allowed everybody a, a snapshot of just how special she is. Uh, we will have been married 30 years at the end of this month. Um, I know. Uh, so yeah, this is our, we're yesterday was Valentine's day when we're recording this and that was, uh, this Valentine's day was our 31st Valentine's day together. Um, so yeah, I, she is the love of my life. There's nowhere unless she's there. Thank mm-hmm. you, Brian Adams. Um, our oldest, we have three children. Our oldest son, Grant is 26. Um, a Duke university graduate, uh, who lives in Washington DC and works for uh general service administration. Our oldest daughter Chandler is 24, uh, Rollins college graduate who, uh, Some of your uh, um, students understand this. She graduated from college uh, at the beginning of the pandemic in our living room and has been fighting the good fight of trying to find a great job. Um, She's employed, um, works across town, still lives with us. But I'm so proud of her because she's, um, as we're going to talk about today, she's done the hard stuff when it's hard. Um, and then our youngest Cameron is 21. Youngest daughter, Cameron is 21. Uh, she will graduate in the summer, uh, from the university of Florida, play soccer there. She has two more years of eligibility. So she'll, by the time she's done, she's going to get her master's degree or two. Um, but yeah, she lives in Gainesville. And, uh, so we have them, and then Grant has a cat. Cameron has a dog. Chandler has two cats. So wow. we have we have grand pets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we call uh, them our we, we uh, with with my ordeal. They're like everybody got a therapy pet, and I'm like I have a therapy pet. It's chicken four piece <laughs> with a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Why I have to get a cat? So anyway, goodness yeah, that's, that's a lot of cats, too, oh. bro. You have no idea. And I hate cats, mm. but I love my R three, and that shows you how much you do love them. Yeah.
1: Uh, talk a little bit about your story with COVID. Uh, that was a a really hard thing to watch from from Wilmington at the time, in the middle of COVID. Mm. Seeing you go through it was incredibly hard, and we talked a lot about it at our church. You actually came to Port City and had a conversation on the stage with Mike at one point and I, not a lot of our students were probably around the church at that time or got to like hear a part of that. So I
2: would love for everybody
1: to hear kind of what you went through and what you learned through that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, the, the four one, one is that, uh, March, 2020, uh, the national basketball association had just canceled their season. Uh, COVID hadn't hit its peak. It was just the beginning. Uh, I got, I got sick, was really, you know, not feeling well for about two weeks. Um, And the long story short is that um, progressively got worse. Uh, I had to be rushed to the hospital early one morning. And not only did I have COVID, but I had, uh, as a result of COVID, I had a COVID-induced heart attack, um, congestive heart failure, blood clots in my legs double pneumonia, uh developed a bacterial infection and spent the entire month of April in a medically induced coma fighting for my life. Uh and every time I tell this story Carson I have to say this that um there's no question and we're, I know we're going to talk about this. this is part of the reason you wanted me to 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 tell my story. Uh, there's no question that God did a miracle in my life, but I would be remiss if I did not mention the countless medical professionals who really like risked their own life to save my life. Mm -hmm. And the countless, uh, starting with Kelly and our children, but the countless friends and family all over the country and the world who prayed and loved me home. I'm not sitting in front of you having this conversation unless that happens because it really is the, the, you know, we're two years removed from me being sick and the farther removed we get, the more we realize how much of a miracle it is Mm -hmm. to this degree that I don't even like talking about it in front of crowds much because of the number of people who are sitting in a crowd that have lost a loved one to COVID. Mm -hmm. And so and it And it begs that question that I know you want us to get to, like, did God make this happen, and if he did make it happen, then why did Stuart live and my loved one die i mean it's a it creates a quite a quandary uh theologically as it relates to our perspective about God,
1: yeah, well, and something that i you talked about that was has stuck with me ever since I first heard you and Kelly share about it when you were here was. The conversations around, wow, you've made it through an incredibly hard thing. The the story you're going to tell or the thing that God's going to do with your story. And I think the way that you describe that is that makes God feel very cool. It, is, it makes it feel like God is like did this to me so that he could do this other thing. And I think we've all gotten spots in our life where we're going mm-hmm. like, is God doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, is this how? a loving God works on my behalf. Cause this doesn't feel very loving. And I think your perspective and Kelly's perspective on the other end of that was so helpful and something that we all need to do the work to begin to understand for ourselves.
2: Yeah. I, I, I want to say this unequivocally and unapologetically. Uh, God did not, God does not give anyone COVID. This is not the game of thrones. There is not a Knights King, a dragon queen, a red priest, priestess, or, you know, uh, a high sparrow. You're not, the gods are not against you. Life isn't the way that it's supposed to be. Life is the way that it is. If, if anything has happened as a result of COVID and my, my, you know, fight for my life, it's forced me into a deep dive regarding the essence and the nuclear thread of God. Like, what is the nuclear thread and the essence of God? And, uh, you know, my friend Clay Scroggins says that we are made by our definitions. A.W. Tozer has famously said that the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And I believe with all my heart, and this, my situation with COVID forced me to really dive deep with this, Carson. I believe with all my heart that the nuclear thread and essence of God is his love. His, his, Sovereignty, holiness, and justice is wrapped around love. Mm -hmm. But that means that there, but there's also a couple of things true about God that we probably never think about. There are some things that God cannot do. God cannot lie. He cannot be untrue to who he is. And he cannot not love. Mm -hmm. And when God chose to give humans his his you know we are just a little bit under the angels the ability to choose so that he can love us unconditionally and vice versa it also set in motion depravity and perversion and disease and he can't undo those things because he loves he can't not he cannot not love and so for any college student or adult who's watching and listening to this the, the the horrible things that happen in our life are not God making them happen. It's actually the result of Him loving you, not to scold you, not to reprimand you, but you have to take it all the way back to His willingness and desire to have a relationship with you. Like this blows my mind. In his foreknowledge, he knew that this would. I think it's the reason why Carson. He stood at Lazarus' grave and wept because he understood, man, death is the result of me extending love to people. It also makes Paul telling the church in Rome in Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for good. Think about the miracle that God cannot not love, but somehow he can take absolute hell and the proverbial dookie hitting the fan in your life. Mm-hmm and work it together mm-hmm. he he can take all that and and put it together and something unbelievable unbelievable come of it yeah um, what i said to you guys when i was with you and what i've said all across the country is you know god didn't make COVID happen but he does want me to make it matter and mm. i just want to make it matter i have a new lease on life um and I want everybody that that will be willing to listen to me. Hear me say that the God of the universe is passionately in love with you. And mm-hmm. don't mistake, don't mistake a pandemic as his punishment. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I hope we have enough time. Cause I'm going to talk a bunch Carson. Cause I'm so stoked about the questions that you asked, but I think about this all the time that uh, like, no wonder people made assumptions about God. For example, there would be—I uh, mean, you guys live in Hurricane Alley—that there would be, you know, some sort of typhoon or hurricane hit a hit a place, and people would just assume that the gods were angry. Well, that happened long before Jim Cantori and the Weather Channel, <laughs> and now we have the capacity to know that. No, this front and this front hit together, and you know and created this. That isn't God being angry at you. That is him putting this world we love in motion because he loves us. And as a result of depravity, this happened, but it's not him being mad at you. Yeah. So that's my take.
1: Well, I think that that's incredibly helpful. And I just appreciate your boldness and confidence and just being really, really clear about that. Because I think the oftentimes we can get that backwards. And where does that come from? I think it comes from a different place for everybody. I think for some people that grew up in church, they may go, maybe I was taught that. Maybe I, maybe that's what I at least pulled out of church growing up. Or maybe you, somebody didn't go to church growing up at all. And this whole idea of God and this idea of Jesus is incredibly new, but it's so much easier to hold the events of the world against God and not see God's love working through those things. And that's a real tension. I mean, it yeah, is, it
2: is. And, it is. and, and
1: that's a, It's I, a tension we're going to work out for the rest of our life. I was it's, just it's about imperfect. to say,
2: I, I will be the first to say that even though I speak boldly and confidently, I'm also, you know, Adam Grant talks about uh, in intellectual humility. I know what I don't know. I know that I don't know, but you know, someone asked me this question when I was sick, Does it, (laughs) this is such a heavy question. Does it matter if God is sovereign, just, and holy if he doesn't love you? Mm. And I went, if he doesn't love me, like who cares if he's sovereign, just, and holy? Mm. But it's because he loves me that I care about his sovereignty, his holiness, and his justice. So that's what kind of shifted in my mind. And I could be wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. All the all the five point Calvinists out there may be hating my guts at this point, and that's okay, yeah. um, because I, you know I this is the story that I am willing to wrestle with for the rest of my life. Yeah, and
1: that word wrestle I think is the perfect lens through which we see a lot of the issues and a lot of things that we're talking about. And I, I think when we we talk about faith and we talk about living out our faith in college. I mean, what a perfect time to wrestle through some of these things. Yes, like We think that when we go to college, we got to get it all figured out so we can play the part upon graduation day. But that's so untrue. It's like, it's just another place in our life that we can grow. We can grow close with each other. We can grow deeper in our faith. We can ask some of the really big questions. We can get gut level honest with God. God's not afraid of our questions. But I I think for, for me growing up, I believed that he was, that he was going to be somehow or ticked off if I thought this or questioned this part or asked where love and compassion is here. But every time I've asked that question, I've found something in me begin to get unlocked a little bit at a time. And I feel like that's, that's really what happened throughout your story of COVID. And I just appreciate you being willing to bring people into that because I just think that it's incredibly helpful for anything that we go through in this life that's less than easy, which we all have. Right. Those things.
2: Yeah, and um, I, I, I especially Kelly and I both feel especially connected to college students uh, in that regard, simply because we had three young adult children who are walking through, uh, mm-hmm. and this is not an exaggeration or speaker speak, but they're, they're, they were told at least three times, prepare for a funeral mm-hmm. and to watch, well-meaning such sweet people say things to try to give peace and comfort that were actually counterproductive simply because what God was showing them about himself and what people's trite pithy answers said did not match. So, you know, the beautiful thing about being in college, it's, it's kind of like when you were young and you went to, you know, maybe you went to some sort of summer camp or, some overnight stay and your parents packed your bags for you. College is the ultimate. I get to pack my own bags now, and I'm going to pull out the things that I don't think I be, that belong. And I'm going to put in the things that I think are, you know, essential. That's what college is for us. It's you yeah. packing your own bags. And uh, I just encourage every college student watching and listening to take that seriously. Don't just your parents care about you to this degree. They may not be able to verbalize it and articulate it well, but they care about you to this degree that they want you to own your own faith. They don't want you to have their faith. They want you to own your faith. And that requires some responsibility on your part.
1: Yeah. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about mental health. And I think that the tie between these two ideas is is so clear and so direct because Mm -hmm. The more we begin to dig into the conversation around how we are all doing mentally, the more we find that we're all carrying bags, we're all carrying things with us from childhood, maybe from the early parts of college, depending on where you are that are beginning to like really sit at our table and begin to define who mm-hmm. we are or who we believe that we can become. Mm-hmm. And mental health is one thing that we said in the the first week is this the conversation's not nearly normal enough because, right. It's a conversation worth having. Lives are at stake, and the sanity of all of us is 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 worth fighting for. No and question. it's w- worth having conversations about. And when we were talking about the, this conversation, you talked about how you were leading through some of these conversations across the country. Can you share a little bit about what you've learned? Like, what have you seen? What are yeah. some of those conversations been like? Because I think that's incredibly helpful.
2: Yeah, I think part of the reason why it's difficult conversation in faith communities carson is because we generally only <laughs> we generally only test what's easiest to assess rather mm. than what's most important mm. and what happens in faith communities is what's easiest to assess is the fact that a college student is sitting in a room If there is a fanny in a pew, we can go, well, there that that that's good. But every single college student in the greater Wilmington area has a story. And this is this is what's a part of our story. Every single one of us watching and listening this to this know that we're not okay. We know that we're not good. In fact, we love telling everybody that nobody's perfect. Everybody knows that nobody is perfect. We know that's true of us, but what we can't bear is not being considered good or appearing good. We know we're not perfect, but it it will literally suffocate the life out of you to not be considered good or to appear like you're not good. And here's what happens as a result. You and I do not, we do not fake anxiety, worry, suicidal tendencies, depression. Those are not the things we fake. We fake being okay. Mm-hmm. And we fake being okay because we don't want anybody to know or we don't want to appear like we're not good. The, the other thing that I think is contributing to this in faith communities is for that is, is the fact that for way too long, mistakenly, historically, we have many faith communities, denominations and traditions have framed mental health issues as sin and not mental health issues. And they're not the same thing. You know, your struggle, college student, is not a sin. It is a mental health issue. Just like you need to be spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, you need to be mentally healthy. We, the, it's not a, and, and for far too long, and there are, you know, historical reasons why it's happened, but we have taken the suicide thing, for example, and there you know, it's almost like the Pharisees. We've taken that one thing and there's all these trickle down things that happen as a result of that, that we pile on top of it because we've called it, we've called it sin. Another thing that I would say is, and I know this is the heart of overflow, and it really is what beats in your blood. You, me, um, everybody watching and listening to this, your home, your, uh, your apartment, your faith community, your team, you don't measure how safe you are as a person. And you don't measure how safe you are as a faith community by how safe you want to be. That's a faulty, easy assessment. It's so easy for us to go. This is how safe we want to be. It would be the equivalent of you and I walking into a restaurant. And I realize once I get in the restaurant that I drop my wallet. And when I, so I run out of the restaurant and I As soon as I leave the restaurant, I go left. And the reason why I go left is it's at night and there's a street lamp, and I start looking under the street lamp for my wallet. And then you come up and tap me on the shoulder and go, Why are you looking right here? Because we came in from the right. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, Well, the reason I'm looking right here is because there's a street lamp. (laughs) Yeah. Like you don't measure how safe you are by how safe you want to be, you measure how safe you are by the stories your friends are willing to tell you. Mm -hmm. And if if you know that there are people struggling and nobody's telling you, they're not telling you those things, I think that should be a sign to us that we're not safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is to me, what is most concerning Mm -hmm. about collegiate America, about teenage America, about young professionals is that there are scores of hurting women and men and they don't feel like they can tell anybody. And part of the reason why they don't feel like they can tell anybody is that we're not safe Mm. and we've got to wrestle with why is it that I'm not a safe person to come to, Yeah, you know, what is it about me? I have to do that as a parent. I have to do that as a husband. And I mm-hmm. certainly need to do that as a friend, yeah that's what I am seeing everywhere. Mm-hmm. this you know we 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 default to easy easy assessment instead of what matters most. Um, we understand that there's an issue, but we're afraid to bring it up and the fact that we know we need to be safe people and safe places, but we're not, yeah.
1: Well, I had several conversations over the past couple of weeks with people saying, my friend is struggling with this or that. What do I do? What What is my next step? And I think that that is the next step for all of us is to say, am I a safe place? And what can I do to demonstrate my safety? That mm-hmm. they can say anything and I'm not going to think less of them, that I will be with them in anything and everything. I mean, what an ultimate picture of Jesus is God Mm -hmm. saying, I'm sending Jesus into the mess. I'm sending him into the the dysfunction. He's not just, he's not staying on the sidelines. He's going to go engage people that society had said we're we're done with. And Mm -hmm. that's, I think, a really powerful way that if if you're looking for another way to live out your faith, go be with people, go, Mm -hmm. go make yourself a safe person to your friends or to that person that you see in class every day, who's never said a word. They have a story and you don't have to run across the classroom and go, Hey, Jesus loves you. Just go across the the classroom and be their friend and they'll Mm -hmm. figure out Jesus loves you along the way. But Mm -hmm. we we think that we've got to have this perfect theology or this perfect strategy to help people when the the first step is being a safe place. I think that's
2: that's great. That's so good. I'm actually uh, speaking this weekend in St. Louis and one idea that I'm unpacking that goes exactly with what you're talking about again. Really, we're made by our definitions. Um, Jesus, Jesus talks about in Matthew, he talks about uh, choose the narrow road because uh, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and a ton of people are on it. But narrow is the gate and or small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few people find it. And I want you, Carson, to think about the, the framework in which you put that idea you personally, and I'm doing it too, based on, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't start following Jesus till I was in college, but every single time I ever heard anybody talk about that, the broad was, the broad road was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was that uh, I'm aging myself, but you get it. I mean, it's, it's as depraved as you can be, everybody's doing it. And the narrow road are those people who are, it's almost like, the synonym for Christian became conservative. Mm. But here's what's crazy. And this is what I'm unpacking uh, this weekend. That story is right after Jesus telling people, do unto other people what you want them to do to you. Mm. And it's before him unpacking the fruit of a good person will look like this. And the fruit of a bad person will look like this. Mm. So. Really, the narrow road is exactly what you're talking about. We've thought I need to stay away from people who are going to be trouble, And Jesus goes, no, the narrow road is run to it. That's why, the, that's why the, the broad road is so predictable, because everybody just decides I can't become safe. I'm just going to run this way. If it's predictable, it's not the narrow road. Yeah, The narrow road is how do I become a safe place to my friends?
1: Yeah. Oh goodness. I I can't wait to hear that. And I think that I've never thought about that in that context and especially where that sandwiched in between. I've never looked at that that way. And I, I think if you grew up in church, that was leverage to talk about the depravity of the world and the amount of people going to hell. Right. Like that. Exactly. And it's like, wait, there's with Jesus, you, you never know what's coming next, I feel like, as you read through the stories, because he's, he's so radical. He doesn't meet the mold. right? Uh, but he constantly flips things upside down, and we can almost like learn to expect that. Like, if, yeah. if we think we know something, Jesus is, pro- is probably yes. going to go, oh, let's, let's look at that a little bit differently yeah. here.
2: Yeah, um, but, in, but I think it's chapter 7, or chapter 6 or chapter 7. He starts it by talking about judging, he, and then he ends it by talking about false teachers and people you should follow and real followers and false and people who aren't following. And in the middle of all that, he says, due to other, the golden rule is stuck in the Mm -hmm. middle of do to other people, what you, what you want them to do with you. And he kind of echoes what he had already said, all the law and prophets rest on that. So if, if you have been in a place where you're anxiety ridden full of depression, you know, considering harming yourself, I mean, think about this. How many of us wish somebody would care enough to just, and this is the beautiful thing. Sometimes it's just as simple as being willing to sit and listen, you know, to cry with a friend. Uh, I don't know how many of your uh, you college students have watched Peanut Butter Falcon, but there's this movie out there with um, uh, Shia LaBeouf and a young uh, actor. Named Zach Godsagan, who has Down syndrome. It's called Peanut Butter Falcon. I, w- I encourage you to go and watch it because it's a beautiful, like, friendship story. But I read the backstory of this one scene um, that was filmed the weekend after Shia LaBeouf got arrested in Savannah, Georgia, for public intoxication while they were filming the movie. Zach Godsegan is 30-something years old. He's, he has Down syndrome, and he wants to be a movie star. And he gets a leading role in the movie, and his co-lead, Shia LaBeouf, who we all know and many of us love because he's been in great movies, you know, he gets arrested, and they have to shut down shooting, and the film is at, in jeopardy. And when Shia LaBeouf finally comes back on set, nobody will talk to him. They ignore it. They're so mad at it. But there's this one scene, Carson, where uh, they're floating down the river on this raft. And Shia LaBeouf is sitting there. And Zach Godsegan reaches over and puts his arm around him. Well, what people don't know is that's the only scene they shot the day that Shia LaBeouf came back. And it wasn't a part of the script. But this kid with Down syndrome realized he had a friend who knew he had screwed up and knew he was messed up and he just puts his arm around him. If you go and watch the the scene, Shia LaBeouf falls apart. We all want that kind of friend. Mm. We all need to be that kind of friend. That's the narrow road. Mm -mm. And that's why so few of us find it because we get so consumed with ourselves Mm. that, that we don't, you know, we don't think about other people. Yeah.
1: Wow, I haven't seen that movie, but I've heard you talk about that, and I'm I need to go watch it because I think mm-hmm. that ju- in just that per- that's such a perfect picture of he didn't say anything. Yeah, yes, he he just put his hand on him of communicating. I'm with you, like you're my people. When you hurt, I'm with you. I'm not going to tell you to not feel hurt. I'm just going to sit in it with you, mm-hmm. and I that's think cool. that that's a way that we can all play a part in the conversation around mental health and. I do think about the student and I would love your perspective on this. The student who says, I know I need help with it. And the, the scariest people in my life to talk about it with are my parents, mm. but they in some way might hold the keys to the financial ability to take a step towards counseling or take a step towards getting clinical help in the conversation. And like, I don't, my parents don't seem like they believe in the idea of mental health. How do I navigate it? What are my next steps? And we are obviously the, the church and the people that are like we're, we're gonna we're gonna stand in the gap with you in that. But how do you suggest somebody
2: navigate that conversation? Yeah, so good, man. For the first thing I would say as a middle aged white man who is a parent of three young adult children to every college student watching and listening, your parent and I say this all the time, but there is a lot of weight in what I'm saying if you'll really listen. Your parents were not born parents. They were born naked and afraid. And when they became parents, all that happened is that multiplied. Your parents. I don't think your parents are intimidated by the fact that you have an issue because any parent worth their salt wants to help their child. I think parents of the next generation are more intimidated by your vulnerability Mm. because they've grown up with moms and dads that didn't show their hand Mm. and they themselves don't know how to be vulnerable. Your fathers, especially Mm. because men, for those of you that don't know, Basically, am I happy? Am I sad? Am I hungry? Am I horny? That is their four four emotions. Mm -hmm. And you being vulnerable and going, I'm hurting. They hurt because you hurt, but your vulnerability is what's intimidating them. Mm -hmm. I think it's one thing that is pushing the envelope with parents of the next generation is that. I, and I say this all the time. Your faith, college student, young adult, is is different than your mom and dad's faith. I think it's better. I think it's more rich. I think it's more robust. But one of the reasons why is because you're more vulnerable about things that really matter. So, with that being said, it's going to mean that you have to extend a little grace and patience with your parents. It shouldn't be that way because your mom and dad should be the more mature people but it's just the way that it is and if there happens to be a mom and dad that are watching this i would push every parent to understand back to the adam grant quote this idea of intellectual humility the idea of intellectual humility is i don't know i don't know everything i i am often wrong there is something more for me to learn and I need to lay down all the armor that I have had on most of my life and hear what my child is telling me. Uh, <laughs> I was watching this Beastie boys documentary a couple of months ago. And one of the Beastie boys guys goes a couple of years ago, actually, he goes, I would rather be a hypocrite than the same person I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I went, that may be the most profound spiritual thing I've heard from the Beastie boys who fight for their right to party. Mm -hmm. I would rather be a hypocrite than the same person that I was 10 years ago. Every mom and dad, if you are watching and listening, what your children need is for you to be a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. They, they need you to grow. And it doesn't mean that you have all the answers I was going to say this earlier. We are living in an age. uh, I call it the, uh, I read a book called The Death of Expertise. And the whole premise of The Death of Expertise is that we are living in a time where everybody thinks they're an expert on everything. Uh, It's the reason why you can go on Facebook and, you know, people have graduated from the University of Facebook Medical School. So they give you all this medical advice, Mm -hmm. look at the sports world, and anybody and their mom can start a sports podcast and act like they've. You know mm-hmm. they're better than Matthew Stafford, who threw the most insane no look pass in the Super Bowl. I don't know how many of you saw that. Uh, you can go to politics and 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 whatever. And this is true for college students as well. Just because you've ha- you have anxiety and depression doesn't mean you have the tools to give counsel. Mm-hmm. And mom and dad, the best thing you can do is to know that perhaps your child's issues are way above your pay grade and you need to get help yeah. and it is not a dirty word. It is yeah. the most life-giving thing
0: mm-hmm. you can
2: do. Um, it could be mom and dad that you need to have some other, you know, group of parents or couple sit with you, mm-hmm. but at the very least sit and listen and don't, I get accused of this all the time with our three kids and Kelly, it's don't fix it. Don't try to fix it. Just listen, because listening is the first step toward some sort of resolution or some healing beginning.
1: Yeah, that's good. I mean, that reminds me, we talked about that in the series of Dr. Chinway Williams' book, Scene. And I know she's a good friend of you guys. She's not only,
2: gonna- a, not only a good friend, a counselor. Hmm. We, our entire family has been to her. So and if you're looking at that. someone who's been to counseling and is in counseling and will keep going counseling, and I would also say this, if you, if you have a parent, you need counseling. Yeah. Because our parents didn't know, our children have already, been, because we don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the baggage you're talking about happens as a result of moms and dads who are ill-equipped to raise a human being especially in this culture, and they've done, most of them, thank you, Dr. Brene Brown, most of your moms and dads, y'all, have done the very best that they can do. Mm-hmm. And we do owe them some grace and some latitude because they, they were just trying. Mm-hmm. I, you know, both of my parents are deceased. I, I look back and think about my mom and dad, Carson, and I, I hated my dad when I was in high school. My mom was the peacemaker. I hated my dad. I look back now and go, considering what he came from, goodness. Mm-hmm. He did the best that he could do. Yeah. And every college student listening and watching, you'll get there one day. Mm-hmm. But it, there has to be a joining of those two teams. Yeah. yeah.
1: And not feeling that pressure to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my parents after I listen to this episode, and I'm going to fix it all. <laughs> no, like we can't, that, that humans love to do that. We love to go, Oh, we're just going to come up with a 12 point solution. And it takes time. And I, I just love that in that book of Dr. Jean-Louis Williams She talked about how love and empathy are the two things that help heal the divide of despair. And right. we talked about that almost every week because I believe in it so much, like just reading that was like, what an idea, mm-hmm. like, That's the very thing that Jesus came and did. He he came in extended love and empathy. Newsflash, he knows how we're wired. He knows what we need the most. And that's what he came to give. And Mm -hmm. it's like, we can all learn something from that, especially in the way that we see our parents, the way that we see our friends, the way that we see our teachers, the way that we see our coach that is driving us crazy. Every single person in our life could use more love and could use more empathy. Isn't End it interesting? Isn't
2: it interesting too, Carson, that when you start actually paying attention to what Jesus said in the Gospels and what is written in the New Testament, like everything revolves around the idea of love. Hmm. I mean, and it goes back to the the nuclear yep. thread and the essence of who God is. Yeah, because that is not only is that who God is, it's how He said people will know you follow Me. Mm-hmm. It's also if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, those are the things that show from your life. So again, if definitions make you, maybe we need to reconsider that as well for all of us, that that's, yeah. that's who I'm supposed to be. Get control over the things that you can control. I think this is important. Get clear on whose opinion of you matters. Mm-hmm. Because for a lot of us, we have way too many opinions in our ear and it's causing more clutter and, and distress than it is help. I'm a big square squad person. Get a tiny piece of paper and put the name, only the names of the people that will fit on that paper. And everybody else, it doesn't mean you hate them, but their opinion yeah. is less. Yeah. yeah. Get, get, get really, really honest about what you value most.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You've got to get clear on your values. And then get help for the things you can't control. Yeah. If moms and dads and college students would do that, I think you start a pathway toward a lot of healing. Yeah.
1: And the pathway, what a perfect word to add to that. Because it's, it's something that you're going to take one step today and another step tomorrow. And you may feel like you take a step back along yeah. the way. And that's okay. The important part is you just keep going with everything that you are and the day that you're living. And Dr. Brene Brown talks about that. She she quotes a, a poet who says, Traveler, there is no path. Like you <laughs> you you learn the path by walking. Right. And what a what a headline of the story of Jesus and the way that right. he lived his life. And right. uh, to kind of close up our time, do you have any final thoughts or like are we done? Then, Dude, I yeah, thought we yeah, we're, we're, were just getting in. We could do this
2: all day. <laughs> I know you and I that's this is what we do. Oh goodness! We just talk, 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 talk. We just yes, yeah. For those of you that care, last time I was with Carson and Maddie, they were having a pool party, and all we did was sit on the side of the pool and talk.
1: For I'm pretty sure two and a half or three hours, and I two think and a half three hours all of the primary issues of life, and I left. Yeah, and I was we like, we I pretty have a much work to
2: do. we pretty much solved every issue known to man.
1: No one's called us yet, but nope. we're we're wait, we're ready. We're ready. Nope. That's
2: because we should be intellectually humble.
1: Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh any like landing thought to a college student right now
2: in 2020. Oh my gosh, it's the it's the greatest time of your life because of the discovery part. Hmm. Because of the discovery part. Just man, you you know. I do think it's incredibly important who you surround yourself with. I think that's one of the gifts that overflow is to the greater Wilmington area is that it at least helps you reduce some of the clutter. Um, at the very least, it doesn't mean that if you show up, then you're you know, a high quality human being, because again, we all know we're not perfect, but just keep more than anything. Make sure that you're focusing on you. That's the beauty of this series that you did. Because if we get really honest, at the at the core of the mental health issue is you taking care of you, mm-hmm. and that goes such a long way toward you being, uh, you understanding your identity in Jesus, you loving yourself. And then your capacity to love and care for other people. It also speaks to this, that there may be some of us watching and listening because of where you are with yourself. It's really difficult for you to to love other people and show empathy. And that's okay. Um, Because that's why um, I, I wrote this down. I wanted to make sure I am not myself by myself. I am not myself by myself. We need other people um so if you're in that place where it's just too hard for you to give at this point please don't feel any pressure uh because what you need is to be surrounded by the community that overflow offers and other believers um and then begin to you know once you start getting healthy then you can start kind of spreading your wings a little bit one day i'll come back and talk about friendship and. Dating. I have a lot to say about dating, but we'll be quiet.
1: Okay, I I, we're gonna do that. We're just gonna go (laughs) ahead. I'll 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 text you, and we'll put that on the calendar. Okay, Stuart. I'm I'm really grateful for this conversation. I believe it was helpful to me, and we're actually gonna talk about parent relationships at Overflow as a part of this series. And I think that uh, our conversation today, like, really helps build the foundation for where we're gonna go that night. So. Thank you just for being such a fan of Overflow and of our church, and just constantly like lending your voice and all the things that you're learning uh, so that we can all just continue to learn together. We believe in that. And I, I love what you said, uh, that we're not ourselves, you know, alone. And we've, we've got to do this arm in arm, hand in hand with people. So mm. thank you for your time today. I'm really, love
2: really you, brother.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. We are really excited that you're a part of Overflow and the conversations we're having here on the podcast. A couple of ways that you can get connected with us here at Overflow are by following us on Instagram at PC3Overflow or by sending us a text at 910-597-1160. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. We love you and hope to see you soon.